Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Internal Budget. It's Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Cents.com, joining you for another edition of this here podcast. Before we get started today, do I do want to, again, pass along my condolences to the family and friends of Brian Fraser. Uh, I only knew Brian in a limited capacity through the online mediums, but he was a phenomenal human being. The episode that he appeared on the podcast remains one of my favorites and always will. So again, want to express my deepest sympathies to his loved ones. Um, he left a legacy where he touched so many people, uh, even those he didn't meet, and he will be sorely missed. Today on the show, we have a guy who's probably disappointed with the way that the Ottawa Senators have been playing over the last little while because their recent spate of success has come at the hands of his team. He covers the Calgary Flames, and specifically these days, their AHL affiliate, the Stockton Heat. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike T. Gold, G-O-U-L-D. It's Mike Gold. How you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm not doing but too, too bad, Brandon. How are you? <laughs> Living my best life, dude. And yeah, we touched on it, but... It's a three-game split where the Sens take it 6-1 and 5-1 with the Flames winning one 6-3 in between. As a guy who's obviously covered the Flames mainly but has watched a bit of the Sens this year, are you surprised with the way this series kind of shook out? Not in the slightest. Uh, I fully expected this series to be a trap for the Flames. You know, I mean, coming in, you know, there was maybe a little bit of expectation that the Senators were coming on and they might be due to sort of fall back a little bit. But the Flames have always been you know, a team under this core that has had a knack for allowing, you know, teams that are, that are suffering to finally get that long cherished win, uh, let their fans have a nice good night's sleep. And uh, the flames did that a couple times uh, in this stretch. And uh, I really wasn't too surprised by it at all, to be honest with you. I mean, there were some reasons, you know, to, to maybe expect it beyond just the subpar performances of their core. They're without Jacob Markstrom right now. But even so, David Riddick, I didn't think was too bad in the series. He had an iffy game uh, last night, which um, <laughs> was disappointing to say the least. But yeah, there, there's not really a whole lot to say. I really don't have too much to say about the series, but we'll, we'll talk more about it. For sure. Sportsnet's Eric Francis had a column out today where he referred to the Senators as the free space on the North Division's bingo card. And the way they're playing of late, I don't think that's totally fair. Like they've, they've beaten some good teams in Montreal and in Winnipeg and that 5-1 comeback win against Toronto. Do you think that this Flames team is markedly better than the Senators? I mean, I know at the top of their lineup, they have skill that can match with the best of the league, best in the league and guys like Johnny Gaudreau. But do you, but do you think there is that big of a disparity between this Ottawa team and this Calgary team based on based on what you've seen? Um, probably not. I mean, just you know, if the Flames were clicking at at all cylinders, then I would say so. But the Flames this year have been characterized by nights where they have been dressing forward lineups that are, you know, at best a third of the forward lineup is not NHL caliber, and at worst, it's close to half. I mean. This team has regularly dressed guys like Brett Ritchie and Buddy Robinson and, and uh, Zach Ronaldo. And I mean, those guys all offer, you know, things of, I, I suppose, some intangible impact, but they're not guys who are going to help you win. And the Senators have had some similar deployment issues this year, but 
I just find generally as a team, they've been a lot more cohesive than the Flames have been. There hasn't been, there have been maybe one or two nights all year where the Flames have actually been able to run four lines that have been impactful. Um, and their good lines have sort of rotated throughout the season and um, they haven't been able to have one line that's been consistently going. And the defense pairs have sort of been a similar story, especially with Mark Giordano and Rasmus Anderson starting the season off just terribly. Um, so, you know, as the Flames are currently configured and as, as they're currently being coached, which is to say not well, um, I don't think there's a huge difference between them and Ottawa. Uh, and that, to me, is a huge failing on the part of both the GM and the coach uh, because it's really inexcusable at this point in the rebuild. Um, there should be a huge gap between them and Ottawa, but there isn't. To your point about the deployment issues, you're absolutely right that Ottawa has struggled with those uh, at times <laughs> this year, mainly on the blue line. Uh, the senators have struggled with guys like Braden Coburn and Erica Branson, not playing their best hockey to put it lightly is Calgary's issues more relegated to the forward core. Like you mentioned guys like buddy Robinson uh, or are they having the same issues on the blue line too? Um, to an extent, they've had some issues on the blue line. I mean, they haven't been nearly as pronounced. I mean, you're not going to take Giordano out of the lineup. You're not going to take Anderson out of the lineup. You're going to let them play through it. Hannafin and Tanev have been fantastic, so there's no reason to change that up. Uh, Valimaki's been good. The one issue where you might have some some people upset is with Nikita Nesterov. Uh, people want to see Oliver Shillington ahead of him, and I really don't think they're wrong. Uh, Shillington has, from my vantage point, been better, but the coaching staff is going to go with the known quantity basically every time because that's just been their MO since they've taken over basically. Um, so, and Estrov hasn't been that bad. It's like, he's an NHL defenseman. It's just, he's not, he doesn't have a ton of upside. Whereas a guy like Shillington is going to give you something uh, up front is where all the big issues have been uh, where you see guys like Josh Levo regularly scratched despite, being you know top five on the team and generating scoring chances and just not scoring like that's that's josh levo's issue right now is that he just is not having any bounces going his way uh he's a very good nhl forward uh you know we had a caller on overtime last night here in calgary saying that they should scratch they should scratch the small guys like levo and simone to bring in six foot six buddy robinson ottawa senators legend and it's just I, it's the same mentality with the coaches. Sometimes I find I just don't understand it. Um, they regularly bring in guys like Byron phrase to play huge minutes. Once they bring in guys like phrase off the taxi squad, they will give them offensive zone faceoffs late in the game when they're down by one. Um, it's just this bizarre deployment. And uh, it's always at the expense of some really good players who I've seen covering the heat who have some upside they're not going to be game breakers. They're not going to like steal wins for this team, but they're going to help the team win. They're going to help them get out of those. They're, they're going to help them avoid getting into those holes in the first place. Whereas guys who aren't NHL caliber forwards, guys like Robbins and guys like Ronaldo, guys like Richie, guys like Fraze, they're just not doing anything. But the team has this strange faith in them for some reason that I can't discern. Now that you've seen this kind of really stretch of poor hockey from this team, is this just a bad spell that they're going through? Or is this a fundamentally flawed situation, whether it's coaching, whether it's roster construction or everything in between? Do you think this is just kind of a bad spurt for the team or are they in trouble long term? 
Um, yes and no. They are absolutely in trouble long term. Uh, I don't know if they will continue playing this poorly all year long. Um, but there is definitely major reason to be concerned, especially with um, Johnny Gaudreau's uh, $6.75 million contract expiring after next season. It's just like they have been so uh, apathetic isn't the right word, but they just haven't made any major in-season adjustments since Gaudreau signed that contract. Um, and it's almost as if they've been waiting for some sort of window to open for them to do it, but it's never happened, maybe because of their inactivity. And as a result, we're now in year five of that six-year contract before he hits UFA. And this team has made some off-season adjustments, but you know, just looking at the net in and net out since Goudreau signed that contract, and you know, they lost Dougie Hamilton. Uh, they traded a first and two seconds for Travis Hamannick, which might have been subtraction by addition. Um, so, you know, I would argue that you know even their even their off-season adjustments might not have necessarily made the team better. Um, you know, Hamilton for Lindholm and Hannafin arguably made the team deeper at certain positions, but uh, an overall like looking at the team from an overall perspective in terms of their amount of talent. It might have been, you know, they might have traded a, 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 you know, an asset worth eight points for two assets worth five points or two assets worth six points. Um, but in the long run, you know, you might need that elite player. Uh, Dougie obviously had some issues in terms of his contract. It was only, it was up in three years, whereas they got two guys with six years on their contracts. Um, but that's a player the Flames could sure need right now. Um, but you know. It's really difficult. They they waited until year five of Gaudreau's contract to finally get Jacob Markstrom, um, who is a fantastic goalie. Don't let the numbers tell you otherwise. Uh, he's had a couple bad games lately, but other than that, he's been a terrific, terrific goalie for this team. Um, but why did it take them so long of spending money or spending draft picks to get guys like Brian Elliott and Mike Smith when there were other goalies available in the market who went for higher costs then? Um, but it was almost like they were trying to trying to get one for for a bargain bin price. But at that point, you know, Gaudreau's window is just starting. You might as well spend and try and get the most out of that window instead of waiting and waiting and waiting and trying to sort of make do with cheaper options. Uh, and so they ended up spending a second for one year of Brian Elliott, who was not good, not good at all. He had his numbers resuscitated by a 10-game winning streak at the end of the year that was largely driven by, driven by percentages, um, and then he fell apart in the playoffs. They traded a third and a fifth for Mike Smith, which wasn't the worst trade in the world, but he had a disastrous second season. Um, and then they signed Cam Talbot for one year, and he was probably the best option that they signed before they got Markstrom. So there have been fundamental issues in roster construction with this team. There have been fundamental issues in asset management. I mean, their biggest in-season trade in terms of the assets that they gave up was to trade a second to Ottawa for Curtis Lazar. Um, that was their big. That was their big adjustment in season. And just imagine that from an Ottawa's perspective. Worked out well Ottawa, for Ottawa. Ottawa was giving up a guy in Curtis Lazar, who had basically done nothing for them that year, and he was not coming off the best of circumstances, having dealt with mono. But this is a guy who had played 33 games in one point. Um, and you managed to get a second round pick for him that you turned into Alex Fermentin. And, you know, 
I mean, if Calgary made that trade, we're screaming in the streets about how good it was. Yeah. Um, and that was Calgary's big mid-season adjustment to try and add to the Gaudreau core and try and adjust and address a uh, failing of the team in the six years of the Gaudreau window so far. So that should really speak volumes about how little action this team has taken to try and improve since Gaudreau arrived. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned calling into uh, overtime on Sportsnet 690 last night. And I really like... 960. Sorry. I'm like yeah. dyslexic. I, uh, I remember I was really interested in what you had to say about some of the suggestions that people were making and some of them were, some of them had some substance. Some of them were kind of maybe a little bit off base. There was the suggestion floated around of scratching star players, if not for a game or two to send a message. And I really liked your, your thoughts on that. But to play devil's advocate, because I know you were obviously not in favor of that. Uh, I, th- I believe your logic was that the Flames can't afford to be giving away points right now. And you're right. But failing firing the coach or firing the GM, what else can you do at this point if you're Calgary? Because you're coming off this series against Ottawa where Goudreau's not producing and Monaghan's not producing and none of your top end guys are giving you what you need to beat a team that's frankly, the the bottom of the barrel in this North division. So if not that, if you're not willing to sit those superstars down for a game or two to send a message, what do you do to fix this? Um, You know, the stars haven't been producing. I don't disagree with that. Although they have been before this stretch, Um, you know, they, there are guys who have been issues all year long. Um, and so to single out guys who have only just become issues, you know, I feel like you have to have the same level of accountability for the entire team and singling out the star players to me just sends a terrible message. Um, you know, cause, cause I think they have, I, I think they relative to the team, they have still been the best players on the team. Um, <laughs> I mean, it seems like I know a cop out and they're being paid to score and they're not scoring. The team isn't scoring. The team has scored just one goal in, I believe, seven of their last nine games, which is, I mean, talk about painful hockey to watch. Yeah. When just, you, when you just got outscored 14 to eight by Ottawa over three games, right? Like, oh my God. It's, it's just terrible. Um, so like, yeah, uh, that to me suggests that there's a more fundamental issue at play. That's really not going to be solved. If you give Gaudreau a night off, if you give Gaudreau a night off, I can only see negative outcomes. I really, really at this point in his career, don't see a player who is going to come into the back into the lineup after a healthy scratch and who is going to provide something that we haven't seen before, or who is going to come in having learned something because really Johnny doesn't need to learn anything. Johnny is, is a fine player who is, you know, has, can do things that nobody else on this team can do. I really, and Matthew Kachuk, you know, if anything, I don't think is getting enough leash under this team, I think is being used in all the wrong ways. He needs to be, I think he needs to be coached into being more of a physical presence as much as it's weird for me to say that because I'm usually all about stats, but he needs to have more impact on the game, I think. Uh, but he also needs to just, I think Matthew needs to just, I think Matthew is being overcoached. If anything, I need, I think Matthew needs to just be going out there and, and doing whatever he wants or whatever he can, whatever he physically can to help the team win. And right now, Matthew is playing a style where it feels like he's being just sort of smothered where he is, you know, 
the, the team has no creativity going up into the neutral zone. They do the same thing every time. They, they either the center or the winger has the puck. They fire it in and they wait for the other winger to do, go in and chase it. And from there, if they get possession, they sort of cycle it around a bit until one of them finally gets a little bit of open space. It's not based on them doing something good. It's based on the other team overcommitting. So that's that's where the flame system is right now. The flames play a system right now that's very much um, uh, suited to the other team making mistakes instead of them playing with any sort of skill. Um, they play a very goal prevention style, especially if they allow the first goal. Uh, it's my main issue with the team right now. As soon as they go down one nothing, their goal seems to not be to tie it up at one. Their goal seems to be to avoid going down by two, and that's not just how you not. That's just not how you win hockey games. And that is not a failing on the star players. That is, um, and it, it's a style. It's if anything, it's being tailored to the lower lines, and yet even they are are really failing to uh, to do anything in the system. And you know, I I, I last night on overtime talked a lot about Dylan Dubé because um, he was expected coming into this year to do great things, and he hasn't done great things, and he's still you know he's a sophomore player pardon me and um yeah he's been used in a top six role at times and he over the last few weeks has been one of the team's least effective players i was talking to one of my one of my uh scout friends last night and he was saying that you know dubay's issues have been in large part due to his line mates and you know <laughs> considering who he plays with these days sam bennett milan lucic i really don't doubt that um, Lucic has six goals this year, which is kind of a miracle. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like Milan Lucic, but he has been not that effective since the early part of the season. Um, that entire third line has to change. Uh, that is that is one of my main issues with the team right now. That third line and even the fourth line, I mean, with Joachim Nordstrom on it, even as it was deployed last night, which I, I think is its ideal deployment with both Simone and Levo in the lineup, but um, their bottom six right now is just hindering them. And that's what I would try and change. I would try and call up some guys. Um, I would try and scratch Nordstrom for the like the first time this year, I think, or maybe the first time since the opening games of the year. Just try and get something different going down there. Um, because as it's been right now, the flame solution has basically been, uh, to quote the Simpsons, we've tried Buddy Robinson and we're all out of ideas. And that to me does not suggest that the logical next step is to scratch Johnny Gaudreau. That to me suggests that they maybe need to try going for an all scale lineup um, instead of, you know, constantly promoting guys like Frey's and Robinson and Richie, um, because <sighs> what else can they do? They, they need to try and outskilled teams. That's what got them so far in 2018, 19, but they lost to the, in the playoffs to Colorado. They lost in a series where they felt they like they, they were being bullied. So they went out and traded for Lucic, which was a good trade, but don't get me wrong, but they then sort of shifted their team mentality to sort of emulate Lucic in a way and try and become a team that's hard to play against. Whereas they don't have the, the poise to be that team. They are a skill team. They outskill you. They don't scare teams. Like just the fact that they're trying to scare teams is hilarious. Um, so they need to get back to being a skilled team and uh, get, get scratching their stars isn't going to help them do that. Mm -hmm. I think what you said about Matthew Kachuk is really interesting because 
well, one, anytime you talk about the Kachuk brothers in Ottawa, it brings up a lot of conversations about wanting Matthew in Ottawa and to see him uh, reunited with his brother. But your point about Matthew needing more leash, I think there's something to that because if you look at Brady in Ottawa, no matter what coach he's played for, whether it's Guy Boucher or, or DJ Smith, he has always had free reign to do whatever he wants. And I think that's what makes him really effective because Brady has high-end skill in terms of generating scoring chances, but he's also one of the most physical players in the league. Had the season not been paused last year, it stands to reason that Brady would have been the first player to ever, <laughs> ever hit 300 shots and 300 hits in the same season. So I, I think in order to, I think you're right. I think in order for Matthew to be effective, he needs to be able to do everything that a Kachuk does. And that's throw hits. That's frankly stir shit up between the whistles and produce offense. Now that you've seen both of them, especially side by side where one of them looked pretty damn good through three games. And one of them who had stretches of looking really good, but kind of faltered along with the rest of his team. How would you compare the Kachuk brothers now that you've seen them both up close and side by side? Well, uh, Brady right now has that swagger that Matthew had in his first couple of seasons, um, which is which was quite refreshing to see. I haven't seen that from a Kachuk in, in, in a little bit. And that's not Matthew's fault, I don't think. Um, you know, Matthew's a, an extremely skilled player, and uh, it feels like he's being misused again. I mean, when he's on a line with it, Michael Backlund and Andrew Mangiapane here, you know, usually he's pretty good, but there was a lot made a couple of weeks ago here in Calgary about a uh, players only meeting uh, where, you know, Friedman, uh, I believe it was who reported that the players were like, were telling Matthew, it was after the Jake Muzzin incident and the players were telling Matthew that he can't do like, he can't do it all every night. Like he can't um, I, I'm trying to, he can't like make a, a show out of every night because he was going after Muzzin after the whistle and, and, uh, and getting mad at him for flipping the puck at him. And so ever since he's, I think he's played with a lot less passion. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not going to speculate too much more on what was said in that meeting. Uh, I'm just going based on what Friedman said. Um, but if you're really like, that's such a that's so ridiculous. If you're asking me, that if, would never happen trying, in Ottawa. By the no. way, everyone well, would love it if Brady Kachuk did what Matthew Kachuk did. Well, I mean, it's just it's like what are you trying to accomplish? Like like Kachuk didn't get suspended. He didn't. He just had a fight. You know, he just got upset that somebody flipped a puck at him. Um, it's not like he went and elbowed somebody in the head. Like, what are you what are you trying to accomplish by making like? Are you trying to? make Kachuk less of a focal point and if so you're making him less effective so you know Kachuk is the kind of player who plays better when he's angry who plays better when when the pressure's on him and right now it it seems like Matthew is 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 a, is a player who is just is being is being reeled in and uh that's bad you know it was it was we sort of saw a same phenomenon in his rookie year after he was suspended um, for uh, the elbow on Drew Doughty. And he came back and he was far less effective. Um, and it was almost like he was trying to play too safe. And that's been, and obviously you can't be elbowing guys in the head, 
um, but he took it too far in the other direction. And that's been a huge failing of the Flames all of this season, I think, is they've been playing way too safe. Um, and it just goes back to the earlier point. They don't try and they don't try and score. They try and prevent goals, um, <laughs> which is just ridiculous to say. Um, and it's uh, yeah. And that that is just exemplified perfectly with with Matthew right now, because he's just playing a very he and it's it's the Flames as a whole are having huge issues right now, which is connecting a single pass beyond the red line. And that is a huge issue with Matthew right now. And and the, the system that they're playing, he's he's not the greatest skater. So it just doesn't doesn't it's not suited to him at all because he can't get any anything going going north south at all. Um, he's a guy who, who, and that's what the Flames are playing. It's a very north-south game right now. He's a guy who is is all finesse, really, in the way that he moves the puck and in the way that that he creates plays. And the Flames right now do not play a very finesse-based style. So they, he is not in a good position to succeed, whereas a guy like Brady, I mean, my goodness, I mean, just, just a joy to watch, um, a lot of fun. Uh, and a lot can be said about the Senators right now. I mean, lots of issues with DJ Smith earlier in the season, but uh, players seem to have bought into his style, and it's really, really good to see. You know, I mean, I, I never have any issues with seeing the Sens do well, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch Brady play off of his line mates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, make no mistake, it's Brady's team. I don't think there's any, yeah. any disputing that. Do you think... Yeah. Because my assessment of it, what having watched Matthew a fair bit now as well, the way I see it is Brady is more of a play driver. Like he's more of a line driver in terms of producing offense, um, doing things in both ends of the ice. Like I see a lot of Mark Stone in him, um, having watched Stone since the early days of his career as well. Whereas Matthew, I think, has more skill in terms of his abilities with the puck and probably even his skating but he might need um, some more complimentary players around him before he really truly hits his stride. Do you think that's fair? Or do you think Matthew has that similar kind of line driving ability? Well, with Matthew, ever since he's come into the league, he's been basically joined at the hip with Michael Backlund for a lot of it. Um, so that, that might just be a, uh, you know, that's your, your observation might just be a result of that. I'm, I'm really not sure um, how true that is. Um, I'm just going to look at the stats right now for what Brady had last night. Yeah. I mean, he's on a line with Tierney and Brown right now. Is that right? Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he kind of has to be the play driver on that line. No offense to the other two players, but um, you know, in in Calgary, uh, Matthew has a, way bigger safety net with back than a Mangiapane. Um, he has been a play driver in the past. He has been a line driver in the past. There's no doubt about it. Um, right now, he's certainly not playing like a guy who is able to driving a line. I mean, he just can't get anything going beyond his own red line. Um, you know, I, I, I do think he has the skill to be able to do it, um, but he is not in a good system and the flames are not clicking to a point where they are able to get that line going. Um, If there is a line on the flames that will get going soon, it will be that one just because there are too many good players on that line. It it is a line that has worked in the past uh, in both ends of the ice. And Matthew has been a huge part of that. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I think it's probably going to be a pointless exercise to, to talk about who's better because I think they're both going to be really great. And right. I, I don't, 
I don't think um, that there will be a huge tangible difference uh, right now. I mean, going off their past, I, I, I mean, I still have to say Matthew's probably the better of the two players, but that's maybe just me having, having watched more of him and, and, and Brady will probably see an increase in his production once uh, the senators really start to come into their own. Um, Matthew though, has just been, you know, he has a history of being a big part of one of the better two way lines in the, in the entire league um with the with um the three m line uh so you know that line is going to get back to being dominant i i i feel once they uh once they get a better system in place but right now it's just not happening Mm -hmm. and you see some of the plays matthew makes like those between the legs goals I, i i don't think there's any doubt that he probably has more in the way of puck skills and high end ability well, than Brady does. Right. And, yeah. and I would probably, you know, and again, there probably is some bias in play because I think I would argue that Brady is probably the better all around player and maybe has more in the way of a higher ceiling, but, but you're right. It is a pointless exercise because they are both phenomenal players who yeah. are, are huge parts of their team. Now, what I'm really interested in is Brady is, the core of this team. Like he is the heart and soul of the Ottawa senators. I think as soon as they get him inked to an extension, he's going to be named the captain. Sure. Uh, I don't know. And please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if the flames view Matthew in the same way, just based on what I've seen, like you mentioned the, and obviously this is all conjecture and speculation, but the way they talked about kind of reining him in, in that, in that closed door meeting, if the Flyers, dis- or it's the Flyers, sorry, I just got a, came a tweet, tweet came across my phone. If the Flames decide to blow it up and they decide that they need to make some key moves to kind of restructure this team, do you think Matthew's a guy that they're building around? Or do you think, you know, whether it's based on his contract or whether it's based on, you know, his, his style as a player, do you think he's a guy they're keeping? Or do you think he's a guy that they're, that they're using as a trade piece? There has been increased uh, sentiment among Flames fans lately towards uh, moving Kachuk, and I think it's bonkers. Um, I think it's absolutely bonkers. I don't get it. So do I, um, just for the record. I, 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 I wouldn't move him, uh, not for a whole lot. Uh, people have been talking about potentially moving him for Eichel, <laughs> which is... Um, I, I, uh, I still can't really wrap my head around any part of that. Um, you know, Buffalo's perspective, Calgary's perspective, anybody's perspective. I mean, you move anything to get Eichel. Uh, Kachuk's not my starting point if I'm having those conversations, though. I, I'm definitely talking about something else first, doing anything I can to not include Kachuk in there. Um, you know, and I, I, the whole premise of trading for Eichel to me just seems ridiculous. But, um, yeah, you, you build around Matthew. I, 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 uh, there are people who think that he's not going to be an elite player long-term. And I think that's probably fair. And there are people who think that um, if they try and build around Matthew, they're never going to be able to find the right complementary piece for him because they're not going to draft high. Uh, I think if you just have Matthew and if you just have Rasmus Anderson and Yusuf Alamaki and maybe even Noah Hannafin, and if you just have, you know, Mark Germanette, that team's probably going to be pretty bad. I mean, they're already pretty bad right now. And if you want that high pick, uh, you might be able to get it, um, even if you still have Matthew. Um, I think if they trade Matthew, they might be making an, an, an enormous mistake. I still think Matthew could be this team's best player since Aginla. 
Um, he is just, I mean, he's everything the Flames wanted when they were sort of starting to, to, to come into that Goudreau window. They got him, and now there's talk, like, there are fans who might want to see him out the door before Goudreau. Um, that, to me, doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I think they have to give Matthew a big extension. Again, he's the guy who is going to help this team win, and it's it seems pointless to me to move on from him unless you really want to start from zero. And just, you know, unless unless you're convinced that nothing about this team is ever going to work, which to me is just an awfully uh, closed-minded way of thinking. I mean, thinking that nothing about this team is ever going to work. Matthew Kachuk is a fantastic player. It's not like him being in Calgary is going to cause the team to be diametrically opposed to winning. You know, there is going to be a right fit for Matthew Kachuk somewhere down the line. And so they would be, in my opinion, foolish not to keep him. Do you think that there is a chance that they do move him? Like, I know this is getting into some pretty heavy speculation, but if we get to the end of this season and Calgary's ownership has decided that this core has had its chance to do something and it just hasn't come together, like let's say Brad Living gets fired or whatever happens, do you think there's a chance that Matthew Kachuk gets moved? Or do you think that, and obviously it depends on who comes in at the GM spot or whatever, but do you think that they kind of see it the same way as you, that this is a core player that they want to build around? Or is he one of the guys that you think is going to be first out the door? No, no. Um, they are not going to trade Matthew Kachuk unless they have huge issues with getting him to a contract. Um, if he turns into to, if it turns into the Mark Stone situation for them, then maybe. Um, but no, no, they, uh, I, and again, this is just me just speculating, but they, in all likelihood view Matthew as a core piece. You know, this isn't a Dougie Hamilton situation where they've, um, they have just three years of his control left and he's, he's got some flaws and they're looking to get deeper. I mean, obviously the flames are looking to get deeper, but right now they need to preserve their, their crop of elite talent because um, that's good. That's what's going to win and lose them hockey games going forward. And uh, the Kachuk, Kachuk works with other players and right now like Kachuk has the ability to have chemistry with other players guys like Lentome guys like Backlund guys like Majiapani and if they move him they're going to be getting rid of one of their more one of their guys who is versatile to work with other guys um, who is who helps the team come together and who helps the team gel and who has a ton of skill I don't see any rationale for moving that player at this point in time. And I hope management doesn't either because it just doesn't make any sense to me. There are like 10 other guys who have moved before I move Kachak. Yeah. I, I do want to ask you a bit about the contract because obviously it was big news when Matthew, you know, kind of signed the bridge deal and Calgary couldn't get him locked up long-term, at least outright. And Sens fans are kind of going through something similar right now with Brady's contract expiring at the end of the year. And all conventional wisdom seems to point that to the fact that it's going to be similar to Matthew's situation where the team is likely going to struggle to get him signed long-term at a reasonable price. And they might have to opt for the, the similar structure to Matthew's contract. As someone who's kind of seen how this has played out with that situation before, what would that mean for Sens fans if, Matthew or sorry if Brady signs that kind of bridge deal is it going to be a thing that might be detrimental long term or is it something that they shouldn't really be worried about 
Um, I'd be worried about it, um, you know, because Matthews Bridge deals hurt the Flames already. And, uh, you know, his qualifying offer is going to be $9 million. And they're probably going to get him for more than that. And whereas if they had signed him long term to begin with, they might have been able to get him for under nine. Um, you know, with with Brady, there is less of an excuse to do a bridge deal because Ottawa just has a ton of cap space, but they're not going to sign it because of the name of this podcast. Um, whereas with Matthew, they had uh, no real uh, room to work with because they had Michael Froelich under contract for one more year, and then they ended up trading him for a fourth midseason. They wanted to keep the gang around, and... Uh, that backfired. They managed to only get a three-year deal because they wanted to keep for a league, and then they ended up trading him anyway. Um, so that was bad. Uh, the Flames just should have given him long-term to begin with. Although if they give him a long-term deal after this one, uh, then I suppose they would have gotten more years of control, but at what cost? It's probably going to be a higher dollar figure. So that's not great. Uh, with Brady, you know, if, if they sign him to a bridge deal right away, that to me would immediately bring up sort of warning signs, um, you know, especially if the Mark Stone situation again, um, you know, it's hard because the window for Ottawa hasn't really opened yet. And if you don't sign him long-term, then it might never open. That's, that's what I would be worried about um, because it took so long for the Calgary window to open and then it only opened for a year and then it closed again. And so um, you know, teams are finicky like that, uh, especially if they don't have a ton of elite depth. Um, Ottawa doesn't right now. So uh, that's going to be really tough. Uh, they need to get Brady signed long-term, uh, just like Calgary needs to get Matthew signed long-term. And if they don't, I would be worried. I would, I would, <laughs> I mean, I know people in Ottawa are already pushing for no ownership. If this ownership isn't willing, isn't able to give Brady what it wants on a long-term deal, then I would be really concerned. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that assessment. I can't articulate what a disaster it would be for this organization and for this fan base if if they can't get Brady Kachuk locked up long term. I mean, Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, it would it would pale in comparison at this point to not getting Brady done long term. Now, yeah. that now that you've had this chance to kind of watch this Senators team play out and as someone who maybe hasn't followed the rebuild as closely as you know us in auto in the Ottawa market have what's been your assessment of this team's young core I mean just in this Calgary series alone Tim Stutzla has looked great Drake Batherson is on a historic goal streak so what's your kind of view of how the young kids have played so far um it's been good they I, I I still have some concerns about Ottawa's rebuild because I am still not sure who's going to be the number one center. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's the same sort of concerns that I had early on in Calgary's rebuild where I wasn't quite sure about Monaghan. And so that's something where if Ottawa's really bad again this year and it looks like they're going to be, I would take a swing at a center with big upside um, in the draft because, you know, you already have a huge core on defense coming up and the center core is sort of there. Josh Norris, I really like, but they need an, they need a center. So that is my main assessment of Ottawa's rebuild right now. There are players who I really, really, really like. Um, Kachuk, Batherson, it, they're both fantastic. And uh, Batherson especially has really impressed me. Um, 
he's going to be a really good player for the senators. Um, I am not sure if he's going to be like, you know, he's, he's what, 20, 21. Yeah. So, you know, he'll, 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 he'll continue to uh, develop as, as time goes on. And uh, he'll be, you know, I view any good, you know, f- um, forward core on a contending team is, you know, has to have at least, you know, four sort of really, really good players up front to, uh, to be able to, have that sort of depth of eliteness, as I put it. And and Batherson has to develop into one of those guys. Stutzla has to develop into one of those guys. He hasn't been consistent this year, but he was consistently pretty good against Ottawa or against Calgary. Um, you know, I, I Stutzla's tools are just, you know, they make you salivate just watching him. He's he's got everything. Um, so yeah, Stutzla, Kachuk, Batherson, they need one more. They need a center, and uh, Norris maybe can be that guy but they need somebody to come up and be that guy. Uh, Norris, you know, maybe he's the ideal two center. Uh, maybe he's the ideal one center. If he continues to take steps, um, you know, Colin white, I've been impressed by how he's resurged this year, but I, I don't see him as being a top six forward long-term, unfortunately, maybe, you know, if, if the bounces continue to go his way, um, you know, he, he just, you know, I, I am not sure I see it just, just based on, on how he's, he's, he's driven play. I'm not sure I see him as a core player going forward. I think he's a guy who you might actually want to look at trading um, given his current uh, stretch. Um, you know, the other forwards up front, you know, Dadanov's not really a young core piece uh, and he hasn't been terrific defensively uh, this year, but he's finally starting to produce, which is nice um really love nick paul uh nick paul i i really like um but again he's not sort of a, one of the guys who's going to make up that elite core up, up front um ottawa you know just i'm, I'm glad they're doing th- they're bad this year because they need to to get another high pick if you ask me mm-hmm. um because you know there's just not that fourth piece coming just yet um but there is definitely the the bones to surround a really good center if they can get one or if one of their guys can develop into it. Yeah. I think Stutzla will end up being their one C. I mean, just the pure offensive ability that he has once his game rounds out a bit and it will, the kid is so smart in terms of hockey IQ. It'll take Mm -hmm. time to adjust, but I think he'll be that guy for them. Colin White's an interesting one. Uh, he's a guy who I'm not comfortable with trading as of yet, just because of the versatility that, his game has. I think he's a high-end 3C, but he can play that second-line role uh, if he has to. And I th- and he's been effective in it, um, both offensively and defensively. A lot of it's going to come down to what Shane Pinto develops into. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's looking like a, a Hobie Baker winner this year in at UND. Like he's been absolutely tremendous, far exceeding any expectations anyone had for him. Yeah, uh, Norris. I think you're right. I think pegging him as that number two ideal kind of number two center is probably a good fit for him. Maybe a one D in a pinch. Um, his ceiling is sky high, but I think that's where he'll shake out to. But yeah, I, I think that's probably a good assessment of their forward core, especially I think drafting a high end right winger. Um, like if they could get a Dylan Gunther, for instance, in this year's draft, that'd be unbelievable for them. Um, just because they aren't deep on that spot. It's pretty mm-hmm. much Batherson and then Dadanoff, who you mentioned, is not a member of the young core. And then yeah. from there, it might be a bit of a struggle. And on the left side, at least you have Formanton coming, right? So I think that's yeah. a great way to 
describe their current situation. Mike, this has been phenomenal, man. I really appreciate you coming on. The one thing I want to ask you before I let you go here, in terms of how these teams have, in terms of how they look long term, mm-hmm. who do you think is better structured to win in the in the I guess not too distant future? Okay, um, yeah, Calgary's going to have some rough years coming up here unless they do a really successful retool, uh, which I'm really not sure if they're capable of doing, but we'll see. Um, I think Calgary might have a couple of years here coming up where they're seventh in the division. So, um, well, you know, it's not going to be a North division after this year, but where they're close to the bottom of the Pacific, um, which would be good. Uh, Calgary's never picked. They're the one team in the league other than Vegas that has never picked top three, (laughs) which is crazy to say. Um, But uh, yeah, Calgary, I think is going to be bad for a little while, Um, which I mean, I would like them to be. That maybe is wishful thinking on my part. Ottawa uh, is is in a decent swing. I still think there are some fundamental issues with the team off the ice that might impede them from being able to have a long window, but um, there will be a couple of good years, maybe longer uh, with Ottawa. They're a team that has some nice, some really nice pieces. Um, you know, they're the team that they're a team that will be able to build from the back end out. They still need to figure out goaltending. I mean, Matt Murray's been better of late. Uh, They need to get more consistency at that position. Um, And that's the one thing that might keep Calgary good is Jacob Markstrom. Um, And, you know, if he can do that, all the power to him. Uh, If he can make Calgary into a team that wins a couple rounds, then all the power to him. I'm not sure I see that happening. Uh, I see Calgary as being a team that at best is going to make the playoffs and lose in the first round again. Uh, for the listeners that don't know, Calgary has uh, made the second round of the playoffs three times in the last 32 years, which is uh, terrible. My um, yeah, yeah, that's it's terrible. 2015, 2004, and then 1989. That's what we're dealing with here. Um, if you think Ottawa's bad, at least you guys can make it far in the playoffs. Um, so that's my expectations for Calgary. Calgary is the team that's going to top out as a team that makes it into the first round of the playoffs and loses. Ottawa's a team that has the pieces to potentially go further. Um, that's where I would be optimistic about it, but they got to sign Kachuk long-term as Calgary does. Uh, if they can't do that, all bets are off. I don't know. Yeah, I think that, I think that's probably a pretty accurate assessment of each team's long-term outlook. Mike, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. Appreciate your insight as always. Thank you for coming on the show today, my friend. Of course. Thanks. Folks, make sure you give Mike a follow at Mike T Gold, G-O-U-L-D. That's going to wrap up this episode of Internal Budget. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, little things that go a long way. They are greatly appreciated. And hey, I hope you sickos have a fantastic week and that the Sens keep giving you more reasons to listen to this podcast with a little bit of schadenfreude in your mind when we talk to analysts from other teams. Stay healthy, stay safe, take care.